fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to F Triple G BT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. Now, who does that? We do. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me. The physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Well, it's great to be here, Dan. Very excited. But I think in these next few episodes, we're really going to find out why I am the physics phenom and not the gamer phenom. See, I could see you as the gamer phenom, Denon. I mean, I feel like you've got a desire, a love of video games. Uh, we just got to translate that into your passion. I think we could turn you into a gamer at, with, with a little bit of practice, no? Well, let's just say love is, is nothing without a lot of practice. Let's just go there. A little <laughs> bit of practice may not do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fair enough. Well, I know one guy who's got a lot of practice at a lot of things, including video games, and that is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben. Tell me about your video game heritage, and while you do that, first got to tell me where you're broadcasting from this week. Dan, today I'm in an ancient alien temple. There are all sorts of weird relics here speaking of an incredible power. I better figure this out or the entire universe may come to an end. Well, I think you put too much on your shoulders, Ben. We don't have the fate of the universe resting on yours, your shoulders and yours alone. We're going to handle this all together. You know, I can't help but notice we're going to talk about StarCraft today. Uh, I can't help but notice because it's in my notes. Uh, we're talking about StarCraft today. But what I can't help noticing is that in the game, there are three races that are perfectly balanced. And here we are, three experts perfectly balanced on this show. Um, this is, you know, I widely considered StarCraft. I think it's one of the best video games of all time. Do you guys think that that translates to, to us being the best podcast of all time? Well, you know, Dan, I am biased, but the answer is clearly yes. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, what else can you really say to that? Yeah. Um, but, you know, who, who else, what else, like, like taking tech the way we do and making it so understandable and so real, you know, it's the best podcast. It is perhaps the most dangerous podcast as well, because what you learn on this show <laughs> can true. be used, as, as we like to point out, for both good and evil. And I really hope, you know, so far the world has not come to an end. So I think people are using it for good. I think that that's, that is well said, Denon. Uh, and I think it is the best. And I think here is the key, right? And this is the same key with StarCraft. So very quickly, StarCraft is a real-time strategy game, meaning that you're battling other people in real time. It's not turn-based. And you're vying, control of, vying for control of the board. And this is a game that came out in my youth and is still being played competitively across the world in almost an untouched form from, you know, the, the late 90s when Brood War came out. And I think what makes this game so appealing and so enduring is, again, it's the equilibrium. It's the perfect balance. It's the, the there's three races that really in some ways operate like paper, rock, scissors. And I love that it's a perfect balance. You know, this this Blizzard tried to come out with, with uh, another game that had four races. It all fell apart. So there's some magic in three. You know, I love comedy. There's a, there's a, a magic in th the the rule of threes in comedy. Uh, it's a very strong formula. So Denon, uh, as as far as physics goes, is there something that is special about three that makes it stronger that also translates to the real theoretical world? 
You know, Dan, three is an amazing number in physics. It's the ground of everything, it turns out. You know, we first notice we've got the proton, electron, and neutron. It looks like matter is made of three. We go down farther and we find out quarks, and there's six quarks because there's three generations of two. Three just keeps coming up in fundamental physics everywhere. It's the ground of what we do in physics. I think it's because of this balance that you mentioned about and the equilibrium that is fundamentally due to threes. It's so important, Dan. Most people don't have a favorite number, but I do. And it is three. I've committed to that. <laughs> well, well, I love that. And it's a good question because, you know, if three is important in physics, but I imagine three has got to be important in engineering as well, whether it's mathematically or structurally. Three's got to be a powerful number when it comes to making the things that, uh, that are in the world. Dan, you nailed it. Three is very important in the engineering world. First, you said structurally, of course. We've all seen triangles everywhere in the world. You see them on bridges and trusses because triangles are the strongest shape, pretty much. But there's also kind of three branches now of engineering, which are kind of the biggest branches. And unlike the races in StarCraft who fight each other, these three branches of engineering really work together to make the modern world. We have the structural mechanical engineers who build things, who design things. You have the electrical computer engineers who design the electronics and computers that run the things. And then you have the software engineers who write the, the code that goes onto all this stuff and makes it all work in the end. So in three kinds of engineers living in harmony to bring the modern world together. <laughs> well, that's great. In engineering, there is a harmony. But in this game, there's acrimony. There are three races that are vying for control, uh, for superiority, right? So it's a very different approach, which is interesting. So very quickly here, uh, I want to talk about the races uh, in this game, StarCraft, we're going to talk about. Um, if you're familiar with the Alien franchise, use that as your mindset when you think of the Zerg, which are kind of like, they're insect-like creatures that use biology uh, and fast uh, metabolism and, and a, an ability to metamorphose, metamorphose, use metamorphosis. There we go. That's how you say it. Use metamorphosis. <laughs> to survive and mutate uh, into the next thing. Then you have the Terran, which are like humans relying on technology uh, to, and cybernetic implants to, to gain an advantage. And then the Protoss, which are a little mysterious. Uh, they've got seemingly, you know, think of them as like the gray aliens, if you know a little bit about that. Um, uh, or even, I guess, the Predator, maybe. Uh, but these are creatures who use maybe psychic abilities, some advanced energy, definitely high technology to gain their advantage. And I, I want to I explain, so that's how this game works. We've talked about paper, rock, scissors, if you want to get that kind of an idea. But I want you guys, I want to tell you guys a story about some lizards. You guys want to hear a story about some lizards? Some, we would love I to love, hear a story about lizards, I love Dan. reptiles, I, Dan. I was really hoping to be a story about octopuses, but I'll, I'll go with lizards. Uh, well, we're now using the plural octo octopodes, by the way, Dan, and that's oh, right. what we're okay, going with now. Okay, I, I can't. Gonna... Well, I can't pronounce that word, Dan. So that's why I went with octopuses or octopi. <laughs> I can't pronounce it or spell it. But we're gonna we're gonna go snobbish here because I, I just think the word looks really cool. So we're gonna talk about the side blotched lizard here, guys. And this is really cool. This is paper, rock, scissors in the real life in biology. Really quickly, uh, there is blue. There's orange and there's yellow. And so they're basically described by the males 
mating strategy, okay? And what's so strange is they announce it to the world with their throats. But here, really quickly, the orange, they're large and aggressive, have big territories and a harem of women. The the blue, uh, they have a small territory, only one female, and they cooperate with other males to defend both their territory and their singular female. And then there's the yellow group, which they're called the sneakers. Their males have the markings and behavior of the females, so they sneak past the males. It's kind of like when Bugs Bunny would dress up in drag. He kind of sneaks past the males, and then they're able to mate with the females, and then they get out of there. But they don't have any territory of their own. They're kind of on, they're kind of, they're, they're rogues. They're the rebels. Uh, they're the nomads uh, of the blotch, side blotch lizard group. But what's so cool is that in, in practice, orange beats blue, blue beats yellow, uh, I'm sorry, yellow beats orange and blue beats yellow. And so over the course of, you know, uh, every couple of years, they oscillate who's in charge. Now, this is so cool because in some ways this explains how nature works, how equilibrium works, that they're all kind of, you know, they're, they're geared to fight each other. What do you guys think about this? This is what's so cool, not only of this game, but nature itself. It seems designed to be in perfect harmony, you know, when humans don't get in the way. Well, you know, Dan, it does make me wonder if the first creators of StarCraft were actually biologists who knew this. Hmm. Um, it really sounds like, it, it, you know, it's a bit of a leap, but there are some real analogies, I think, to the three races in StarCraft we could make. Um, people might then complain and it would be a stretch, but I'm going to throw it out there. Do it, then. Because um, that's what this show does. We take yeah. risks. Um, see earlier comments, we are the best. Right. Um, so <laughs> Do let's it, not Dennis. get too self-congratulatory, but we might as well sure. come in threes. I'll say it one more time for yep. the third time. We yep. are the best. Yep. And then pass it on to Ben. <laughs> the, the lizards are... This this harmony is an interesting example of how things do work in nature. You have these creatures that always, you know, all creatures go kind of back and forth. And we see that in the StarCraft universe, too. You have, you know, the, you know, we start out, the humans are kind of in the most power, but they've kind of strayed into the Protoss space. The Protoss leave them alone, but the Zergs see them and think, ah, there's some new genetic material to incorporate into our brood to advance ourselves, and they come in and they start infecting the Terrans and trying to steal their psionic, latent psionic powers to improve their race. And then the Protoss see that, and now they have to get involved, and they knock the, the Zerg down a peg, and then the humans get you know come back, and they knock both down a peg. You know, it's this constant balance, both in the real world and in the fiction of StarCraft. I will just have to add to that, Dan, one thing. You mentioned the balance is perfect until it's messed up. Um, this <laughs> yeah. is where my inability to play comes in. Um, you know, humans mess it up. We're the ones playing these characters, and I think that's why people eventually do win or lose in the game. It's not the balance of the creature. It's the messing up of the humans. So I just want to say humans mess up not only in the real world, but in the game world too, at least for me. Uh, you know, th there's some truth to that, but I I'm going to tell you, I'm going to finish up on these side-blotched lizards really quickly because here's the mind blowing part of this is that they need all three to exist for all of them to exist. Meaning that if one of them didn't exist, okay, let's say we take out the yellow, right? Well, then mm -hmm. if yellow's not around, then orange can't be beat 
And if it's just blue and orange, orange takes over blue, and now you just have the orange, right? So you need all three to be working together, uh, or you have none, right? And in order for them to really, you know, to get going, everything needs resources, right? I mean, no matter who you are, whether you're a side blotch lizard, whether you're an insect like Zerg, or, you know, like us, the an advanced human, you need resources. And in this game, there seem to be two resources that everyone goes after that that it's it's minerals in the form of crystals and it's this vespine gas and all three races this is what's interesting all three races are able to take these two very simple resources and they're able to create everything that they need despite their very different approaches both to technology to combat and to life in general, to surviving. I found this to be very interesting. Uh, so Ben, I'm curious, um, what is it about these particular resources that make them so versatile and so nutrient dense? <laughs> well, I, I think we gotta start, you know, we look at the Terrans cause we are, the, we are essentially the Terrans. So that's the easiest to understand. You know, we know the Vespine gas is a hydrocarbon that's stated. We use hydrocarbons you know, you burn them, you turn them into plastic, you know, you can do all sorts of great stuff with those. And then minerals are just minerals. We have minerals on our on our planet. We have iron ores, we have aluminum ores, we have titanium ores, you know, all the things you need for war machines that we see in StarCraft. Um, and clearly the minerals in StarCraft are either a combination of all those ores or some kind of new ore that we haven't discovered yet that's out there in space. And so you use the Vespine gas to run your furnaces, you refine the ore, you get the materials, you know, bing, bang, boom, you got a, a siege cannon to blow up some Zerg. Bada bing. But what I'm curious about is how do the Protoss use these materials because they don't build stuff, they like kind of teleport everything. So how's that work, Denon? Well, you know, I think this goes to the heart of this issue of sufficiently advanced technology looks like magic. And as we'll discuss more, I think the Protoss really are using technology combined perhaps with mental powers. We've talked a little bit about the power of the brain in the past. Yep. So it really is science and technology. And as, as you said, Ben, and, and Dan, actually you alluded to this in your question. The answer was there embedded in the question. The periodic table is finite. There's only so many elements in the universe. Um, and... So everybody is stuck using the same elements. We just use them differently and in various creative ways. So really what I think you're seeing is the Protoss taking these for their unique technology. So it's really figuring out the technology and that will let you know which elements of the minerals and the gas are most important for them. Um, now, it does raise the question, we've been talking about using these for technology, and you know, your first example, Ben, was Terrans building technology, Protoss. I will claim that their, quote, magic-like abilities are really technology. Um, wh what do you do with the Zerg that are more biological? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question, because the Zerg don't build things, they grow into things. So you gotta <laughs> right. you gotta kind of wonder how that works, but I, I think we can get some hints about how it works from creatures on our own planet here on Earth. You know, we have bacteria that can consume hydrocarbons and uh, turn that into energy. You have plants and animals that turn minerals into important parts of their biology. Uh, you know, we we have calcium in our bones. That doesn't come from I mean, it does come from the food we eat, but it doesn't come from the hydrocarbon part of the food we eat. It comes from the leftover minerals 
in the food we eat. So in my mind, the Zerg, they're using the hydrocarbons and the Vespine gas to kind of get the energy, and they're using the minerals to grow their strong teeth and claws that they use to slash the Terrans and the Protoss open. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. And the other thing we got to keep in mind here is in this world, the Protoss and the Zerg are engineered races. So, you know, when you know you talk about, uh, you know, a bacteria that can eat, you know, eat oil and poop out strawberry jam or whatever, whatever we want to do with them. Right. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's a thing, but <laughs> I think we can do it. I think we described that in an earlier episode. <laughs> I, th I think so. We're working on that privately. Uh, that's TM. But, you know, I think if you were to take that a level up and not do it with bacteria, but do it with creatures, you can make a, you know, biologically engineered creature that could use these minerals and the gas in any way that they needed, right? I mean, that's that seems pretty easy. I think it does. And I would also say, Dan, you know, for me, I think we have to keep in mind that the gaming reality is a little bit symbolic of the underlying reality, sure. right? So we, we sure. have to be careful which pieces we take completely literally. And what sure. I would say... It, Right. No, I yeah, mean, yeah, it's that's true. Fair. We're, we're yeah, yeah. you know, and, and I think the crystals, to, to Ben's point, represent the incredibly mineral rich areas mm. and that mm -hmm. the planets in general are very barren and boring. Right. Like if the dirt of that planet probably has the most useless and most inert stuff in it. I don't know what that would be, but, you know, pick your favorite element from the table. Krypton, xenon, is what I, neon is what I'd go with. <laughs> OK. And then and then the, the crystals are, are representing mineral-rich areas, element-rich areas, and each race is using their own thing from there, but that is what each race needs. That's how, that's how I interpret it. I don't know, Ben, do you feel that's way far off, or could that be consistent with what you see? I, I, think, it, I think it's a reasonable assumption from the game that you know maybe they're not also using the same exact pieces of each uh, mineral that they find. You know, for all we know, you know, the the Zerg probably don't have much use for the you know titanium perhaps in in the minerals, but I don't know. Maybe they have titanium teeth too. You know, we don't really know that one. <laughs> I mean, it's very true, and I think once you know. Once these races, they have all the minerals that they need, they all do things, you know, we're talking about they, they use it differently. They, they, you know, it's all utilized in, in very specific ways. So let's talk about the Zerg really quickly. Now, they are a, they're an insect-like group that uses, you know, basically an insect life cycle in some ways. You know, they start out as larva, uh, they become a pupa, they be, you know, then they become an adult. And even as an adult, they can, you know, metamorphosis, uh, metamorphosize. Oh, well, I'm getting this word wrong all, all day. Metamorphosize. I'm going to use change. The, change. <laughs> I want to use a big word then. I want to be a big boy too. Uh, okay. They use metamorphosis to change into other things, buildings, higher, you know, higher mutated creatures. Um, and, and so it seems that they're, that's what they, that's what's kind of special about them. And if you look at the way that they build their colony, it's like an above ground hive, you know? I mean, normally when you see a beehive, it's inside the, it's inside the box. Well, I guess not nature. They're gonna be in a, in, a, in a beehive in a box, but you know what I'm saying. It's above <laughs> ground, we can see it, it's not hidden. And that gives us, a, you know, that gives us a, a kind of an inter, it's almost like having an ant farm, right? We get an interview of, of what's going on in there. And I found that to be really interesting when watching the Zerg kind of mutate, transform and evolve. Yeah, and I think part of this, Dan, seems to be, you know, the, the stuff they have to grow on, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Which, which right. forces them to be surface creatures, right? When you think about hives, hives are very much for protection, right? You, you presumably as an ant 
or any creature that makes their hive underground, or even the bee that's making it's it's above ground technically, Dan, the hive, sure. but it's hidden, <laughs> right. right? You know, I, I know what you're going with. You know there. what I meant? Yeah, um, yeah, I didn't say that yeah, very well, did the I? The hidden <laughs> versus the visible hive. There you go. It, it probably has to do with the way you know the, the hives for many uh, insects also contain their nutrients and you know what they're mm-hmm. living off of. Yep. And here it seems to be an interesting surface nutrient um, that you know leads to the engineering design. And I think this happens a lot in sort of engineering situations where it's the constraints of your energy source or your fuel that really limit your design options. And I feel like they had limited design options when they have to live on surface goo. I don't know, Ben, does that seem like a reasonable explanation of their surface nature? Well, now before you answer Ben, before you answer Ben, I want to I want to point out something you said there, Den, and just to clarify, they do kind of live on what's called the creep, which is almost like a slime mold. And everything that the Zerg do, it has to be on top of this, this goo, this mucus, this membrane that you're talking about, which is vital probably for mineral transport and exchange uh, but I wanted to make that clear I don't think I made that I don't think I said that very well um, going into okay it. And, and you're okay with my technical term of surface goo surface goo is great I think we should use surface goo from here on out for the episodes so, okay um, ben, <laughs> Just checking. Uh, yeah tell us about the surface goo and its importance in the Zerg structure well the important thing is it's purple surface goo which you yes. know purple is a great <laughs> color but I, th- I think we also have to remember that the Zerg are not exclusively an above-ground species you know, we see them with their nidus worms. They they clearly have tunnels and can do all sorts of things underground. I think in some ways the creep may just be what what is visible of an underground, an actual underground network of slime molds and other things that allow the hive to communicate across their vast creep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, also like you know they only have a couple larvae exposed at a time, and they only come up when they're ready to you know, mutate into another creature, I would bet that there's lots of eggs and larvae underground at some level of incubation process absorbing those, uh, absorbing the nutrients that are gathered from the above ground, and then they emerge once they're ready to become zerglings or hydralisks or whatever. That's really interesting. I think there's something to that. And, you know, when you're one thing I want to mention that I think is interesting is they do have some connection to slime mold, fungus. There seems to be some kind of, uh, you know, mutualism going on here or some symbiotic relationship of some kind. And the thing that I thought was cool is you can actually create a creature that can infest a Terran command center and create Terran infested um, little guys running around that can explode. And this is very similar. You know, we've talked about it before. This is similar to the cordyceps fungus, which, you know, it evolves alongside of other insects, ants, grasshoppers, uh, you know, various different other insects to, to affect them specifically and basically turn them into mindless zombies capable of spreading the spores uh, to other insects to infects and infect uh so i thought this was a very interesting strategy and the strategy of the zerg you know they do a lot of insect strategies they they grow very quickly uh they they you know the same thing as cockroaches it's quantity over quality as many as you can get them out um and i think you kind of have a a weird combination of fungus uh, mold uh, insect and you know it's even arachnid too i think is involved in there it's a very cool i'm, I'm trying to tell you I, I love the zerg i love what they do and i love the biological approach i think it's amazing dan i will agree with you completely except for one minor point um 
I'm not sure the cockroach is a good example of quantity over quality because the cockroach also seems incredibly hard to kill. Mm -hmm. I would argue the average cockroach is probably stronger than the average Zerg. If the Zerg could get some cockroach DNA, um, the balance might be broken. Just saying. that's, That's my only minor correction to your analogy. But yes, in general, I agree. It's, 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 it's a fascinating sort of biological mix of life forms to our detriment. Mm-hmm. We as humans often ignore. Well, yeah. th- and I like that you mentioned that that can't, if the Zerg got the cockroach DNA, because it's important to remember that the Zerg also kind of fe- they feed on the species that they encounter. They absorb their essence and they it can incorporate that DNA, that evolution, those features into their own biology and become stronger. So the Zerg in this purity of essence, they're able to assimilate all sorts of creatures, much like one of my other favorite races, the Borg from Star Trek. They're able to incorporate anything into their own biology to become an even better survivor. I mean, that's that's fascinating. I didn't even think of the connection between the Borg. Um, that's really interesting. I mean, that's a little more technical, a little more technologically based, but it's a similar strategy, right? Um, now one of the things that I think is kind of interesting in the other engineered race are the Protoss. I mean, these seem to be, you know, you talked about, you know, advanced technology then being what looks like magic. And I think this is true with them because they appear to be psychic. They, they have some kind of, it's almost like they have a religion based around energy. Every single unit has a force field around it. So there's something going on here. There's some magic, uh, well, not magic. There's some, there's some truth that they've tapped into that allows them to have the superior technology, which that gives them an advantage. They're the ultimate quality over quantity. So how, you know, Dennis, when you look at the protest, how would you explain what's going on here and how they can really use this to their advantage? Well, I think there's a couple of different ones. The shield is the easiest. We can start with that. You know, there are ways you can imagine be manipulating electricity and magnetism. We've talked this be- about this before, manipulating plasmas to create what looks like force fields. So there's a lot of challenges with having enough energy to do it, enough technology. But for me, force fields cleanly fall into the category of advanced technology, mm-hmm. not impossible physics. Mm-hmm. So that's one. Mm-hmm. The other piece is, you know, when we talk about psionic or mental abilities, you know, we do recognize that the brain is basically electrical chemistry. And, you know, we can't talk about what, you know, Ben does, but there is, you know, there are ways to connect the brain to electrical things. Um, we, we can talk about that at what UCI does. You know, we're doing that all the time connecting to brain signals. So you could imagine a biological race with it because it's been engineered with an even more powerful brain system that can do things that look like what we typically call psionic powers. So I think if you're really going to get at the technology and magic, you're always looking at the teleporting and asking what is really going on there? What type of teleporting is this? Are you taking advantage of quantum mechanics? Are you taking advantage of relativity? You know, we've looked at a lot of different teleporting races and and you always come back to, again, the energy. So this is the race of the three that is most dependent on energy. And they got to build that resource and connect it to their technology. So that's really, that's my starting point for them, Dan. Okay. I mean, that's a great starting point. I want to ask a little bit about uh, dark matter and how, you know, how s- you have, and, and Ben, I want to talk to you about this first. I know, I know you enjoy the Protoss mm-hmm. very much, but so you have these, you know, you have these two 
Templars, right? So you have these two creatures that can combine into one, right? I think this is kind of interesting. So when you look at if you're trying to engineer that effect, I mean, is this purely a physics thing or is there something that you could do that would mimic this effect without actually combining two energy forces? Or is this truly an E equals MC square question that uh, we need then to answer? Well, it might be that too. I think it goes back though to the teleportation powers, which I think could also maybe be a part of their shield powers too. You know, maybe they're you know, taking when, you know, the Terrans shoot a bullet at them, it doesn't absorb the bullet. It just teleports it somewhere where it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. uh, in the deep space, right? Yeah. yeah. But I, I think the, the Archon fuse, right, the Templars fuse into Archons. And so that could simply just be, you know, we see a very good example of this in one of, their, one of the cinematics where the two, uh, you know, Templars kind of do like the buddy shoulder hug and fuse into this giant Archon. And I got to think, you know, it's partly a fusion and their bodies are kind of rearranging themselves into this Archon. But we also know that it all can come back down to that transportation, that teleportation power that they have. They can be teleporting in, you know, with their advanced additional psionic powers, they can be, you know, teleporting in new material to form the new armor that makes up the Archon. I think it all just comes back to that simple the Protoss can teleport whatever they need to kind of wherever they need it to be. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, Dan, you brought up e equals MC squared here, and this is where I think a lot of what they're doing is probably not instantaneous teleportation. Mm -hmm. Because, look, it's all happening on the scale of a battle map that's not, you know, galactic scale length. And so really, once you just become sort of make that transformation into electromagnetic radiation and, and travel at the speed of light is going to look instantaneous. So the interesting physics that I feel like they've gotten control of, which is a little easier to sort of build on, is that conversion of mass into direct electromagnetic energy and back in a way that actually doesn't lose your form, lose whatever your consciousness is and, and, and lose those pieces. So you again can imagine some very, very advanced technology possibly doing this. You know, you need massive digital storage to track who you are. You convert to a, an electromagnetic signal using a lot of energy. You send it to another place and then it reforms. I think the trick here is what's the receiver? Right, every teleportation, and and I know I, I don't want Dan, uh, Ben to get nervous because I'm going to talk about antenna. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, right? yeah. Like you, you know, warning. <laughs> most technological teleportation methods you think of require receiver. And that's the tricky part for them from the game point of view, because they do seem to be teleporting even where they may not have been before. And that's always the hardest thing to do. I mean, that's interesting, but we, it's also the, the Protoss have these, you know, tentacles off the back of them. You know, we, we talked about this psionic link they all have, and it, and it comes from these tentacles on them. And that's what connects them to their kind of hive mind, situation that they have going on and i imagine i think of those tentacles as giant antenna because when they cut them off they lose that link and so my thinking is that those antennas kind of work both ways so as long as there's a protoss there near where they need to teleport something you can kind of you can focus that teleportation onto that signal that you and probably unique signal that every unique protoss has on them 
I mean, that's a really interesting way to look at that. I don't think I realized that they had tentacles on them, uh, but I, I love that as uh, as a way to really they, they're connected through their tentacles. I mean, there's a well, they're kind HP of dreads, yeah, know, space yeah, red. <laughs> yeah, space red, like like the predator, right? I mean, there's yeah, you know exactly. something similar to that. Um, flexible antenna, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> biological flexible antenna uh, that's sutured onto to their scalp. Um, so you know, when, if we're looking past the Protoss, you know, we got to talk about the Terran. You know, these are are essentially us in a couple hundred years. Um, I'm not convinced we're actually going to be around in a couple hundred years, but let's say that we are. That's the fantasy part of this, right? Uh, it's heavy engineering. <laughs> it's advanced technology. And, you know, luckily we've got an engineer here. So, uh, Ben, when you look at the Terrans, you look at their advanced weaponry, um, what do you like about it? What don't you like? What do they get right? And what is the, what can they use to their advantage? What's really interesting is a lot of their tech is not very far off from what we can do now. I mean, the the biggest, you know, their tanks, we totally understand. They have, you know, the Vulture speed bikes, which, you know, they they float. So that's, you know, that's a little Star Wars-y. We're not, we're not quite sure how to do that one yet. But they have a lot of vehicles that are just tracked and wheeled vehicles with big cannons on them. That part we understand. I think the first thing that we see that's really interesting is they have power suits. And we've we've kind of tried to make power suits like Iron Man and whatnot, but it, it's a tricky technology. It's hard to kind of get all that technology into a form that looks that is human shaped, and it's also hard to make it such that the human doesn't kind of get ripped apart by the extra speed and power that the power suit can bring. <laughs> sure. So, but I think that's something we could figure out. That's that's a control systems problem. That's a engineering problem that I think we'd be able to tackle pretty e pretty easily if we really worked on it. The big one that we don't have yet is the space technology. Their space travel is fascinating. They have spacecraft that can go from atmosphere to space without seeming, you know, gigantic boost stages. That's the cool stuff that I really want to figure out. How do we get these single stage to orbit battle cruisers and stuff like that? That's that's the really advanced tech there. Yeah, that's something, you know, we've talked a lot about on this show before, particularly when we've talked about alien craft and or and even on some panels we've done, right? This, this transfer between the atmosphere and the vacuum, breaking out of gravity, you know, that really is the interesting tech. But I, I, I have to just agree with Ben that these are really, to your point, Dan, the rest in a few hundred years. I think that's all we, you know, a few hundred is not that long. If you said thousands of years, Dan, you know, I'd be a little more, you know, on your side. But a few hundred years, you know, and building tech like this, unfortunately, we have proven our warlike capabilities. And that is usually where we make the first tech advances. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not as pessimistic as you that this wouldn't happen. Uh, now, what it might do to us once it does happen, you know, that may be where you're right. We get to this point and then we wipe ourselves out. <laughs> well, I will tell you, I just did an interview, uh, Fascinating Nouns, with a guy named Henry Gee. We talked about the history of life on Earth. Uh, we did a bonus episode on the extinction of the human race. He's got it starting in 2060, ending right around, uh, you know, 2100. So in, you know, 80 years, 100 years, that might be the end of the human race, according to him and his calculations, and they're not pessimistic, they're pretty interesting. But if we can get past that and our population doesn't go to zero, I think this is where we are. But I want to talk about two things. But, but Dan, you know yeah. you know what I think is going to save us? What? Is drinking out of high-tech cups. <laughs> going back to the analog world is what you're saying. <laughs> going back to the analog world, you know, and playing it safe, mm -hmm. drinking lots of liquid. 
I think we're going to be fine. <laughs> I think that's great. You're holding up your fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technology mug. Exactly. Physics phenom. Physics aren't going to get us out of it. Analog technology is, nonetheless. But gadgets and gizmos and gear-based technology, that's the wave of the future. <laughs> that is the wave. As we've discussed before, you know, hydration is the key to survival. Yes. So hydrate as much as possible. And maybe you will, and maybe we will all survive this uh, dystopia uh, extinction that uh, is unfortunately predicted here. Well, and I will, for our people listening in audio only, Ben is holding up his water bottle, the Fascinating Gadgets and Gizmos water bottle, which is just a fantastic uh, vehicle for traveling, for taking water, traveling from your table to your mouth um, at light speeds or whatever, however fast your arm moves. (laughs) And, you know, the Zerg, our biology, uh, that is technology. And I'm going to hold up one of the shirts here that we have also available on the Gadgets and Gizmos website. And I have to show you guys one other thing here. Uh, This is a shirt I don't promote enough, but this is one of my own design. It is an emoji version of the three of us, uh, the three perfect triumvirate of power uh, <laughs> that makes this show so perfect um, and you know, quite possibly makes Star Trek, Star Trek, geez, Starcraft so perfect. Too many star franchises out there, guys. Um, so two things I want to tackle really quickly before we end the Terrans and, and end this episode. They do two cool things that I really like. All of their buildings can fly, which is an incredible amount of energy. And also, they're nuclear. You can actually launch nuclear weapons uh, at at anyone that you're battling. I thought this was the, that nuclear power was primitive, but it may be that may be the best that the Terrans have. So I'm curious, uh, Denon, when you look at this, do you do you think about the what, what do you think about both of these technologies? How advanced are they, and and do they have an advantage in the game? Well, well, clearly nuclear technology we have already. And when you think about it, luckily so far we've wisely extremely limited its use because it really is probably one of the most powerful things out there and one of the most powerful things you see. Um, even when you look at other classic things like Star Trek or Star Wars, you know, the weapons don't quite go nuclear. Um, we do see it in Dune, just to throw mm-hmm. out my whole triumphant <laughs> of, you sure. know, science fiction. Um mm-hmm venues there. Mm-hmm. Um, I there wanted three of them. And now <laughs> and now we go back to the flying buildings. I, I'm with you. That is the coolest new tech that really is an interesting kind of like energy um, aerodynamic challenge. You know, I would love to have flying buildings. Um, and it may mean, um, I'm just going to make a shout out to our steampunk episode. It may be fundamentally um, that kind of lift device that you want to have um, that mm-hmm. lift vehicle. Well, these are these are more well, lift buildings. All right. This is even larger. Right. right? Um, I, I went with device because, you know, they're also sort of defensive and, 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 and you know, other elements to sure. it. So they're, they're complex. Right, right, right. Fair um, but I, I think, you know, and you have Vesper gas. I'm just saying. You know, you've got gas and you've got lift. Maybe that's maybe it's less technological than we think, Dan. That's interesting. Um, and it's and it's just a lot of gas, and you get your flying buildings. I mean, I think that that's that's. I didn't think about that. So you know, you're thinking about dirigibles, airships filled with Vespian gas. Uh, who knows how uh, volatile it is? That might be the key here. Um, but you know, I think as a group here, guys, I'm looking at the three of you right now. We've analyzed. These uh, how about th- the two of us plus you, Dan? The three. Oh, I'm looking at myself. I'm kind of looking. It's like looking at. Oh, okay, so you're looking at the three of us. <laughs> What did I say? You said the three of you. I figured you were putting another person out here. No, no, no. The three of us. 
<laughs> busted again. You busted me, Dennis. Uh, the three of us, I'm looking at the three of us, and we've analyzed the three races here. We've given the pros and cons. Uh, we've really talked about what makes each, what, what gives each one an advantage over the other. But I'm curious, after discussion, you know, the three of us, we've gotten together. What is your favorite race and strategy? Ben, I'm going to ask you first, uh, which one do you like? Which one do you think would really be the superior group to go with? Well, Dan, I think you said it wrong. It's the Protoss and Kongs. Ah, Kongs. yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, you have these. I, I, I got to go for the Protoss. They're, they're the oldest race. They've been around the longest. They've had the time to evolve the most technology, the coolest technology. Unlike the humans, they seem to have evolved past nuclear weapons. So they're not quite <laughs> as likely to nuke themselves into oblivion. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they have the cool hive mind when they haven't cut off their their brain tentacles you know so they you know they have just a, a very civil society that works together to create amazing technology and explore the stars and i i, I just love that interesting uh what about you Denon? you've looked at them all uh analyzed them broken everything down what are you going with so, so Dan, I'm, I'm going to have to add a layer to this. You know, I think it's not just the race, but I'm going to actually um, go full in on the reality that there's a human controller behind the race. Um, and given my game playing ability, I'm going to have to go with the Terran um, because I just like that core initial defensive strategy. I like the idea of the bases. I also really love a base that can fly away. Mm -hmm. I, I'm very Monty Python, <laughs> run away, run away, run sure. away. So, you know, having that ability to relocate um, when, when you realize you've made a strategic error is, is sort of key to my, my approach to this sort of, um, you know, sort of battle situation, war situation. So in many regards, that, that sort of more methodical, you know, building up your, your mechanical army, defensive approach, um, and waiting to strike at the right time. I, I, think, I think I'm most aligned with the Terran, mm -hmm. Dan. Because right. as you said, as a physicist loving threes, they're all balanced. I could pick either one. You could. Or either one. Any of them. <laughs> ah, you almost did it too. Ah, ah, I, I made the slip, you man. You made the slip. But, but I think... Mm -hmm. The one that most matches, most aligns with my strengths has to be Terran. Okay, well, that's fair enough. I mean, I'm going to add a layer, but I'm going to add a slime layer to what I'm going to say. Is <laughs> I got to go with the Zerg here. I, I find it so fun that they're able to mutate into whatever they need. And plus, they, they create forces at you know a breakneck speed. And they're one of the only races where you can take the very first creature that you create and just run them over to the other base really quickly. It's called a Zergling Rush uh, and just kill the other base that quickly. Uh, I like it. It's fast. It's it's not powerful, but there's a lot of creatures. And if you lose some, it's okay. You can make another one in two seconds. There's plenty of eggs, plenty of larvae laying around, and they can do whatever you need. I love that mutation aspect of it. So that's what I'm going with. But let's say you've got something that you forgot to talk about, something you wanted to mutate this conversation into. Well, this is the place to do it. It's our errors, additions, and omissions section. Things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, is there anything about StarCraft that you wanted to talk about we didn't quite get to? Yeah, you know, this is one of those great examples. I, As you mentioned, Dan, I love video games. I mean, I am a, a child of the 80s and the arcade, um, but I am not at the level of video gaming I, I would love to be or imagine myself to be. There is this disconnect between <laughs> how I envision myself and reality. Sure. Um, and, and StarCraft is that perfectly frustrating game for me because 
I really feel I should be good at it. And, and I, I have neither the time nor the physical capability to play it at the speed I would like. In prepping for this, I watched some professionals play, and I almost curled up in a ball and cried. It was it's, just so depressing. It's amazing. You yeah. know? I mean, it was like watching that. I will say, I, I've only played one real-time strategy game in my life where, you know, and, and discovered, I think it's the click speed. I think mine may be negative if that's possible <laughs> or anti. I, like, I, I don't Very know. Very difficult like, to attain that, by it. the way. That is, that is, that is impressive in and of itself. It is. And, and, but I just, I really love the idea of balancing, you know, get your resources build, but when do you attack? When do you have enough resources? You know, the strategy of it appeals to me at, at a really deep level. It's that tactical maneuvering of, of your, um, you know, your people that always kill me. So that, that's my error addition there. Um, I, I hear it's a lot like Napoleon. I hear he was a great strategician, but, or no, maybe he was the other way, a great tactician and bad at strategy was why he all, almost lost. But th there's either a relation or an inverse relation between me and Napoleon in this regard. <laughs> and that'll be a future error addition when I correct what I just yeah, said. Yeah, we'll correct that. That's our commitment to excellence to you, the viewer. We're going to get that right. Uh, what about you, Ben? Is there anything about this uh, StarCraft that you wanted to talk about that we didn't quite get to? Well, I, I just like the power of the mind that is displayed in StarCraft. You know, all three races in some way have, you know, psychic powers going on. You have the Zerg and their hive mind with the queens and eventually the Queen of Blades, Kerrigan, who, you know, controls the whole hive. Um, you've got the the Protoss with their mind control. And then the humans have sci latent psionics and their ghosts. Uh, you know, that to me is just fascinating. And I like how th that is taken advantage of, again, by the Protoss in their dark archons who can mind control units and have them do their bidding and as the protoss you can you can capture the workers of the other races and have a army three times the size of anyone else because you have a separate supply count for each race and that you know, one more reason why I think the Protoss are the best. I forgot about that. that's a great strategy that you can start building other races buildings inside of your own. That is really cool. Uh, you know, the things that I loved about this, you know, Den, and I'm going with you. I watched some professional play uh, and, you know, I thought I was decent at the game until I got my butt kicked by a roommate in college. And I realized that I, I am not professional bound when it comes to StarCraft. <laughs> I watched some of the world finals last year. It is mind boggling how quickly they can just move units around, fly them around the board. It is incredible. If you haven't seen, I'll put some footage up on the website so you guys can check out some of the finals. It's, it's incredible. And this, I have to say, I believe this to be one of the best video games of all time. I looked at the uh, IGN's top 100 list. It falls in at number 48. I couldn't believe that. I could not believe it didn't crack the top 10. I think there is a, an emphasis on single-player adventure games, open-world games. There's a there's a, a, an ist. There's some kind of a biased going on here <laughs> against real-time strategy because they're a little out of favor. Uh, I think it's ridiculous. You're missing out on something here. StarCraft's a great game. Um, but so, Dan, can I add one more thing to that? You just reminded me of another error in addition. Yeah, please do. So we talk about the perfect balance and the different skills. I think there is also a bias against what I would see as my perfect skill mm -hmm. in the race I want to mm -hmm. play, which is talking people to right. death. 
Um, I, <laughs> you know, talking is underrated in these games. I mean, really, if I was in a situation, I would be the negotiator. I would talk myself out of anything and talk myself into the ideal treaty that favors me. So I want to play the race that's number one skill is talking the other races um, into the ground. So just throwing it out there for the gamer developers that are listening to us. Um, I, I want the game for me. Well, I will tell you, unless you're a cult leader, it is very difficult to weaponize speech and weaponize conversation. No, no, uh, it, it's the negotiating. You negotiate the piece that's favorable to you and you end up sure. winning. Sure, yeah, I, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, it's not as action-packed, Denon. Uh, I don't know that's going to appeal to the to the young gamer, but I like what you're doing there. Um, but if you have any suggestions, if you want to help Denon develop this game, we're going to work out the bugs here, not the Zerg bugs, the regular programming bugs, you can do it. You can get in touch with us on social media. We're easy to get a hold of. We're on Facebook at FGGBT. We're on Twitter at FGGBTPod. But you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? All they got to do is switch my name. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Denon Michael. And then, of course, on Facebook, you do stick in the prof, at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you want to send us a question, if you have a general correspondence, a comment, you can find the show on email questions at fgbt.com. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to rate and review and double check that you're subscribed. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode and you help us out with that algorithm. And finally, this show contains powerful scientific information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination or possibly taking over the entire galaxy. Now, you want to be careful with this information. Use it for good and be a superhero. Do not use it for ill and be a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.